Growing up with an alcoholic parent, dropping out of school, becoming a dad and a business owner, falling apart and building himself up stronger than ever. That's Jesse's story in a nutshell, but there's much more to it than that. I kind of created this saying around the time, define or refine. You let things like that happen to you and they either define you, they become the excuse for everything you do going forward, or they refine you and they become the reason that you do good things going forward. I guarantee you'll leave this episode feeling more inspired than when you found it. So give it a listen and let me know what you took away from our conversation. This is Jesse Trout. Welcome to Young Blood, the award-winning volunteer podcast dedicated to young men's mental health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is a platform for everyday men to share lived experience stories and show that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Suicide is the number one killer of young people, and changing that starts with speaking up. So let's do it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Help us reach more people by taking 10 seconds to give the show a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you've got some feedback on this conversation, I'd love to hear it. You can vote in the poll and leave a comment on every Spotify episode. I read them all. This episode is proudly sponsored by NBNA Group. NBNA has a single focus to support and guide people on their path to recovery from injury and illness, whether it's mental health or physical education programs, treatment or restoration following injury or illness. They can put together the right services for education, recovery and return to work. Learning mental health first aid is as essential as physical first aid. This training supports people to spot the signs, have the confidence to provide initial help and guide a person towards support. It's about learning to listen, reassure and respond to the warning signs of depression, anxiety, psychosis and substance use, potentially preventing a crisis. Check out their training and recovery options and services at nbassociates.com.au or Google NBNA Group. This show touches on some tough topics that may provoke strong emotions. If you find anything in this chat distressing, please do whatever you need to do to look after yourself. Jesse, what did your mum's alcoholism do to your childhood? Wow, it's, it's such a complex, I guess, situation. As I think I mentioned off camera, it was kind of a Jaclyn Hyde situation where I would have these three hours grace period in the morning where I had the most loving, sweet lady you've ever met that everybody loved. And then for the rest of the day, I had this borderline psychopath who'd throw plates and belittle us and yell at us. And we'd have the police called or ambulances rocking up. She's attempting to take her life. And that was a mixture of you know, alcohol and prescription medication and long-term abuse to those things that was just, you know, created this spiral of negativity in our life. And was that always the case? It was always the case. Yeah, you know, it's kind of led to me living in a position now where I constantly wait in relationships for things to go wrong because I was so used to things seeming great and then flipping out of nowhere but not knowing when they were going to flip. Yeah, so it's hard for you to trust that things are going to be all right and yeah, have and that, that stability. Exactly, that people like me is <laughs> a big, uh, I guess, side effect of it. It's constantly feeling like people don't like me and having to prove myself to the people around me, which has been pretty tough. So feeling like you need to search for that validation. Yeah, constantly searching, searching for that validation and feeling like I'm not enough and then trying to do as much as I can to make sure I'm helping everyone around me to kind of make up for what was missing there, I think. When would you feel loved by your mum? Those first couple of hours in the day, like, you know, first time I'd see her in the morning before she'd started drinking, but that could start at any time. Normally I'd get just before school, I'd go to school when it would start or just before work. And not every time, sometimes the hangover would be too bad and she'd be yelling at us. But um, you know, in that period, she could be the best human you've ever met. And did you understand that it was because of alcohol and, and drug use or not yeah, quite? I think I understood quite young. It was like the alcoholism and the drug abuse. It wasn't until I was a lot older, like a lot older that I understood the mental health side of it as well and realized it wasn't as simple as just 
she was addicted to alcohol and loved alcohol more than us. It was that she was trying to cover up something herself. She was trying to suppress some feelings that she was having. And not that that made it any better learning that, but it was nice to understand it, I think. But understanding that she was sick and to a point not choosing it. Yeah. More a slave to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Realizing she was a slave to it and it wasn't a choice definitely helped a little bit, I think. So what was it like for you to grow up around that energy? It was this constant state of fear. And the way I, I feel like I best describe it to people is it's kind of like having a knot in your stomach before you go to a job interview, except for I had it until I was 18 and moved out of home. And I literally have this, this memory where like me and my partner at the time had moved out and into our first rental property and just having this moment of relief that I had never felt where like this knot had untied. And I was finally like at peace to the most I'd ever been at peace. And I could sleep like through the whole night without having nightmares or without waking up multiple times. And it was just gone. Because you would have normalized having that knot there. Well, that's it. Because I didn't know like when I was going to wake up like to you know, an ambulance or to her screaming or fighting with my stepdad or something bad happening. I just knew what would happen, just not when. So you must have got some real poor sleep quality pretty much your whole life then just being on yeah. edge. Yeah, it was a constant thing. And obviously, you know, being a teenager, it's already pretty bad. So adding that in, it just got worse and worse. Where was your dad through this time? Uh, when I was younger, I would see my dad sporadically, sometimes fortnightly, sometimes once a month during that period. And then as I got older, he ended up spending a short period of time in prison as well. So I didn't get to see him during that time. But um, since then, he's become kind of like a rock in a lot of ways in my life. He's you know become an amazing person since going to prison and going through that experience. He's, uh, to me, he's probably one of the best people in my entire family, if not the best person in my whole family now. Not having a dad around when you were a kid, though, how did you understand that? It was complicated because my mum made it always sound like my dad didn't want to be there. But looking back, I've realized that she would push dad out and not allow him in my life unless he was paying child support. And even then she would borderline extort him <laughs> to have, uh, have us in his life. So she made it hard for him to be in our lives in a lot of ways. But as a kid, you don't understand that. And I think that's why I struggled to build a friendship or relationship with him when I was younger. But obviously now looking back, I can see you know, that it wasn't his fault. He was pushed into this scenario. What were the some key emotions that you were carrying around with you a lot of the time? Uh, anxiety and fear, almost like well, impending doom is probably the best way to put it. In, like this constant feeling like something is going to happen, something bad, and I don't know when. You know, as a kid, I developed this weird mantra because I was convinced my mum wouldn't lie to me, where every night before I went to bed, I would say, I love you, mum. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. And if she didn't say, I'll see you in the morning back, I think that was the night she was going to try to kill herself again. And it would yeah. just go through my head every single night, I would say 100% of the time until I moved out of home, even as I got older. It's a lot to cope with as someone so young, isn't it? To always have that, that fear in your mind and then to think like, oh, this is just how it's supposed to be. It's how it's always been. So I guess this, did you think other kids went through that? I assumed it was the same for everyone. Like I honestly didn't know it was different. I thought life was just like that. And I felt like, you know, the areas I struggled during school and stuff like that, I felt like I was awkward or an outcast or weird that I couldn't deal with the same stuff everyone else was dealing with and then just go to school. And of course not. I would still yeah. go to school. I just wouldn't perform well unless I had a teacher that, you know, I liked or could kind of see what was happening, which happened every now and then in those classes, I'd get A's. But then every other class would just be like absent or ease. What did it do for your self-talk? Did you think of yourself as being part of the problem? Yeah, I definitely felt like I was a part of the problem. I felt like I a part of the problem, not in the way that I caused it, but a part of the problem is in it. It's not right that I couldn't find a solution. And I would constantly try to find a way to fix her or help her or convince her to be better. And ironically, I think that's one of the things that's 
made me good at what I do today, like as a CEO and as a leader of a team, is I was really good at getting people to do what they need to do that's best for them because I spent so much time trying to help someone who couldn't be helped. Yeah. It like trained me You're to be better at helping people who want to get helped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're plugging holes, but you were sort of playing that adult role rather yeah. than the other way around. 100%, yeah. How did you perceive the world around you in general? That's a really hard question to answer. I, gray, <laughs> like, as almost like a, the color gray. Everything always felt kind of dull. Like I could be happy and I would laugh and stuff, but like I wasn't internally happy, I was anxious. And I felt like a lot of the time people would say, oh, you're such a happy kid. And I'm like, it was more that I was overcompensating for how hard things were when no one was around or for the rest of the day. And even a lot of my aunties and you know, my cousins and stuff like that, they never saw how bad mum was or didn't know how bad the stories were until after she passed and we started talking more and more and they started piecing things together. And you know, now I'll talk to my aunties and they kind of get it and they feel a little bit guilty sometimes, but they shouldn't because they had no idea. Mum was so good at hiding like who she really was from a lot of people and people just wouldn't believe that she could be as mean and as toxic. And, and that's as so horrible. often the case and that's part of the manipulation unfortunately where yeah. the public facing front that people are able to put on for a few hours or however yeah. long it takes is enough to convince everyone around, oh, they're, they're lovely, like they yeah. would never do anything like that and then behind closed doors you're being traumatised but then people aren't going to exactly. believe that. And I think that's what's led to this constant fear that the people around me that are nice aren't really nice. Um, and not everyone, but I constantly feel like things are about to collapse or that people are only being nice to me for, for something um, and they don't really like me. A lot of that comes from who my mum was, that yeah. she could randomly snap and be this other person. And especially becoming a, a man who's become really successful too, that would, that would factor into that. You know, it's, people being around because you've, you've made money and you've done well for yourself and, and, and thinking like, question. do you love me? Or yeah, is this yeah. just because I like look good and I've got stuff and I can offer you things? You That's know? exactly it. And you know, contrary to like the whole, you know, the more successful you get, the smaller your circle gets. I've found it the opposite. The circle's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's a lot of people around me. And I think there's a lot of truly authentic people there. I just struggle to decipher between who is really authentic and who isn't. I struggle to see which ones are weak. Because you have, I mean, everyone can struggle with that, but yeah. you haven't been raised with that most important person in your life being really authentic and, yes. and being able to trust in that person. So yeah. you, like your barometer for being able to yeah, it's intuit that is, is yeah. off, yeah, which is, which is tough. So what was your experience at school? School was like this constant battle. Like I never really fit in. I always had like a few friends here and there like sporadically and I would have like a friend for like a year and then I'd have another friend like I'd struggle to maintain those long-term friendships and I just I never really fit in I always felt like an outcast until I left school I left school the first time in year 10 got a job for a short period of time I actually got to hang around my dad for maybe six or seven weeks at the time and I tried to reinvent myself during that time I changed quite a lot about my personality and who I was and went back to school and you know, managed to build a decent group of friends for the first time you know started getting invited to parties and stuff like that but I still never felt like I fit in I always felt like an incredible outcast to those people were you always trying to mold yourself and try to work out like what people wanted and, and yeah. the kind of person people wanted to be around and then try to make yourself into that that's exactly it and that was all that I was constantly changing parts of me to try to make other people feel comfortable because I felt like people didn't like who I actually was. Did you feel like you actually knew who you actually were? No, no, I don't think I really knew who I was until two years ago. Like my whole life, there was parts of my life, like when I became a dad, that I felt like I was doing me for the first time, like I was doing the right thing. Like I felt like being a dad, I, I am good at, like, and I give 100% to it. You know, I'm the, the mum I wish I had to my daughter and you know, the dad to a degree as well. And my, obviously my, my ex is an amazing mum to my daughter. But yeah, it wasn't 
until about two years ago that I really felt like I found myself and got to just be who I truly am. Like today, I don't put on a mask. I don't need to. Like I swear a little more than I should, especially for what I do for a living. Yeah, I'll still go out and have drinks with my friends. I don't pretend to be someone I'm not. And it's kind of like, it's nice feeling authentic for the first time. Have you always been someone who prioritized wanting to care for others? Yeah. I want to help the people around me as much as I can constantly because <laughs> I feel like if I can help them, I'll feel good. Yeah. And yeah, I can't pretend it's completely altruistic because no, I feel so. good because they feel good. So yeah, we all get something out of it. Can become a bit of a deflection though sometimes, can't it? Where yeah. it's, we can find it so much harder to look after ourselves and ask those questions of ourselves and do that and just be like, ah, oh, fuck, I just help someone else. It's well, tell them what they should well, do. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better word, yeah, 100%. If I can help someone else through their day, maybe I don't have to worry about how bad my day was. Yeah. So why did you drop out of school? The first time was purely, I wasn't fitting in. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't relate to the people around me. I felt like everyone didn't like me. Did and, you get bullied yeah. at all? I did. I did up until I left school the first time. When I came back to school and I kind of reinvented myself, that stopped happening. And that's when I realized that I could change parts of my personality to make other people be nicer to me, which you know, in reflection is probably a negative. <laughs> it's probably not great to think I wasn't authentic to myself. But, but it's it also a survival mechanism, exactly. right? And yeah, exactly. It helped me survive through that period and you start building a group of friends and you know some of those people I'm still best friends with today like you know my business partner Jason he was a high school friend um you know and Haley we're the tightest group of friends and we're friends since we were 16. What were you uh, conditioned to think being a man was because your dad wasn't around much then you had a bit of a relationship with him when you were a teenager like how did you piece that together? To be honest like I saw almost every masculine trait as toxic and that was because I mostly grew up around my mom and she would just sorry, constantly arguing with my stepdad or my dad or talking negatively about everything to do with them. So I grew up feeling like, you know, all of these normal masculine traits were very negative things to have and not realizing until I was older that you know, it's okay to have both. So I had a lot, of, a lot more feminine traits growing up, which isn't a bad thing, but I didn't have that balance between the two, I think. Yeah, like you were trying to stop yourself from being assertive or being yeah. loud or any of those things that you've seen yeah. because you're like, I'm going to turn into an evil monster if I allow 100%. this to happen. Yeah. So who were you modeling yourself on then? That's a great question. I don't think anyone. I think that was probably my biggest problem growing up and why I was so lost for so long is I didn't have anyone that I looked up to. I didn't look up to people on TV. I didn't look up to, you know, famous people or rich people like I, you know, all the people around me. I didn't know who to look to. So I would just see certain traits that people seem to like, like, you know, if I was, you know, smart ass or if I was funny, and then that made me for a while become like, you know, massive smart ass when I was younger as a mm. deflection mechanism for not having much of an actual personality. But it was based on what other people were responding to rather than yeah. you seeing something and being like, oh, I'd like to be like that. Exactly. It's like, oh, that seems to work. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It wasn't that I like those traits. It's that other people like those traits. Mm. So how are your personal relationships over the years then? Like if you're, if you're pretending a lot of the time where you're putting on a, a front to try to win people's affection. Yeah. Obviously that was pretty strong in school, but as you moved like into your twenties and, yeah. and you had relationships with, with women and that sort of thing. So obviously my, um, my ex Emma, um, the mother of my daughter, we're best friends. Now we broke up uh, around the time my mom took her life. We, we maintained a really good, healthy relationship because we were able to balance each other out and kind of help each other see through a lot of that. Um, a lot of the, sorry, see behind the mask, I think, and accept the other person quite a bit. And I think both of us might've struggled in different ways, but in similar ways at the same time growing up. And then outside of that, I, I was, sorry, my longest term uh, friendship outside of uh, Haley and Jason, um, Jason being my current business partner was my old business partner. And I think he suffered from the same stuff as me. And because he suffered from the same stuff as me in a lot of ways, 
we were both masking by adapting to other people's needs. And that allowed us to get along well because we were both doing the same thing. So we became very similar people for that reason. And you know, today we're not the same friends as we used to be. But I think that's because both of us have become more authentic versions of ourselves today. So was your ex-partner your first girlfriend? Yeah. So we were together for 12 years from roughly around the time I was 18, 19. And we had a little girl seven years ago. Uh, she's amazing. Like best little kid. She's so happy, so energetic. It's the one thing both of us love more than anything as well. Yeah, I've seen her. some photos with pretty big smiles on. Yeah, she's honestly always smiling. Like she's such a an obscure little girl. She's never yelled at us. She doesn't throw tantrums. She's just happy and friendly. When um when my mum passed away, not long after that, me and her mum broke up. And a big thing for us was making sure that she constantly felt loved and understood that mummy and daddy have fallen out of love with each other, but we still love each other, but we're not in love with each other, um, if that makes sense. And I think she could see that because there was no change in her personality. We live in different homes. She has two different bedrooms and she's still happy all the time. She still gets to have family days with both of us together. Mm. We prioritize her having that family dynamic over us, you know, feeling a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning. And now we all feel comfortable today. Yeah, it's great. And it's credit to you guys for being able to pull that off. Oh, well. Thanks. Yeah. So you mentioned your mum there um, dying by suicide. Yeah. So after you were a kid and then you dropped out of school and sort of moved away, like were you still living with your mum throughout that whole time or did you go Did you go live somewhere else? There was a six-week period in school where I dropped out and went back to school again um, and then dropped out again. During that time, I lived with my dad for that six weeks. Outside of that, I lived with my mom until I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I was with Emma that we moved out just before I was 19, I think, and got a place together. And that was where that knot released from my stomach. Yeah, yeah. And from that time on, it was just me and Emma in our own place, creating our own space, our own safe space. So what was your relationship with your mom then? So during that time, she was still in my life. Like we would um, catch up, we would talk, she would get really drunk and do something abusive. I wouldn't talk to her for a few weeks. We'd rebuild that relationship. And it was this constant cycle of back in, back out of my life. Every time she would do something bad and toxic, and then she would make me feel bad that I'm not allowing her into my life, even though, you know, she's just abused me and my partner over the phone mm -hmm. because I hung up too early or something. So she'd always play the victim, yeah. but then always repeat the behavior. She was a professional victim. <laughs> yeah. I like a better word. It sounds harsh, but she was amazing at seeming like she was the victim in any situation that she caused. Yeah. So that meant that you just, what, up and down? And yeah. And I'd still let her back into my life because there was still that part of me that felt like maybe she's changing this time and maybe I can help. Um, I suppose increasingly see that she was just a, a victim of her own well, illness yeah. as well. And what it was, I think like the final straw for me, was once I had my own daughter and she was rocking up to help with my daughter for the first time. And I wasn't letting her look after my daughter because I didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And then by the time she left, she was very clearly off of her face. She was clearly taking stuff while she was at my house. And then I just, I realized I couldn't let her around my daughter unsupervised. And so I'd let her see my daughter supervised up until my daughter was about one. And at her first birthday, she rocked up, she was off her face and we already knew like on some level, she was going to at some point take her life. It wasn't if, it was when. And me and my brothers would always say that. And I think that was our way of pre-coping with what we knew was coming, was kind of making jokes about it, thinking that it was going to happen just when. So I took her out of my daughter's life, which was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But I was scared she was going to build a relationship with my mom and then my mom would take her life. You know, three years later, she did take her life. Or she'd be off her face and there'd be some accident and your daughter could potentially get hurt. 100%. You have to put your kids first. Their safety comes over anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, man. 
Did you ever try to get her help? Did she refuse yeah. it? Yeah, everyone tried to get her help. Like everyone that was aware anyway, tried to get her to go to like Alcoholics Anonymous, things like that, mm-hmm. um, like our versions of those. You know, we'd send her books, we'd send her links to you know, helpful articles, like links to Black Dog Society, stuff like that. And they never, they were just never taken up or there were promises that she would use to be like, I'm changing. Mm. And then, you know, two weeks later, there would be like another suicide attempt or So did she ever vocalize that she had a massive problem and recognize it or did it not really ever register? So she did, she did say that she had depression, but it, as weird as it sounds because of her drug, sorry, drug abuse and alcoholism, it constantly felt like it came up as an excuse to justify something she'd just done. Mm. And I think all of us started thinking it was just being used as an excuse, forgetting that there was clearly an underlying deeper problem too. But the hardest part is when someone's obviously made so many, so many comments about trying to or wanting to do it. At some point, you become numb to it, and you yeah, don't well, think it's, it's crying wolf, isn't it? Exactly, and you, to some degree, don't think it's going to happen, even though part of you thinks it will happen. And until it does happen, it doesn't really hit. And then when it does happen, it hits and becomes the most catastrophic event in your entire life. Yeah. So when it did happen, how did that unfold, and what did it do to you? It happened like something out of a movie, really, um, you know, middle of the night, just a knock on the door and it's the police. I was listed as her point of contact. They came in and there was just something about it that I was like, it's mum. Like I just, I knew, I knew, like I just had this feeling it was going to be her. Sat down and they were like, your mum's passed away. Um, she's taken her life. And yeah, I just hugged my daughter and just couldn't let go of my daughter for like two hours, like while I was just bawling my eyes out. Um, and like I said, you know, I knew it was a matter of time, but you know, obviously that time had come and it became one of the most pivotal, so pivotal points in my entire life. And for a little while I spiraled really bad. I started drinking. I don't, didn't drink back then. Yeah. You know, started going out a lot and these, these aren't things that I would do. I you know, got out of business with my ex business partner at the same time. But yeah, because I started to spiral was part of what played into that. Me and my fiance broke up because you know, she couldn't deal with you know, me becoming who I was. Around my daughter, I was always positive and could put on the face, but for everyone else, I couldn't even pretend I was not myself. Um, so you were actively self-destructing? Actively you self-destructing. Very I much aware of what yeah, you were doing? I didn't want to die or anything. I was just trying to not feel because yeah, I was blaming myself that you know, all these times I tried to help and I didn't help. And what I was doing was I was blaming myself for not finding the solution. It was my fault that I didn't find a way to help her, didn't find a way to stop her from doing it. And of that, course, it's never your fault, is it? it but it's yeah. a very hard thing to like accept. Logically, we can know that, but then subconsciously you feel like it's your fault. And then you just like, go around and around and around. Yeah, this endless story and yourself. things that you could have done or should have done. Exactly. So how long did that self-destructive period go on for? Well, a little while, probably a, about a, six months to a year. But what broke me out of it was starting... Vana with Jason, as all this happened, all this happened with mum dying, getting out of business, my ex-business partner, leaving my fiance and starting Vana happened within a month and a half. Um, so it was all at the same time. And Vana became like my crux. Besides when I was with my daughter, we do 50-50. That week I was you know, happy as I could be with her, energetic, whatever she needed. But the week I didn't have her, I would drink every day. But Vana became my focus. I started working on that 12 hours a day. Like That became my biggest distraction in the beginning because I was getting to help so many people which made me feel like I was making up for what I'd lost with my mom. You must have had some serious cognitive dissonance when you were drinking and doing drugs because that yeah. destroyed your mom's life. 100%. It creates this massive... And the guilt of that. that. Exactly. And that, that was a really tough time. And 
I can't exactly say what it exactly was that broke me out of it, but there was just something, it was, it was Varna, but there was something one of our clients had said to us that just hit. And I was like, wow, we're having such a profound effect on these people's lives. Like we are actually making a difference. Mm. How much better can we be doing if, um, you know, we're, you know, giving it a hundred percent all the time. And I think that's kind of what helped launch Varna was, you know, what happened with mom. And I kind of created this saying around the time, define or refine. You let things like that happen to you and they either define you and they become the excuse for everything you do going forward or they refine you and they become the reason that you do good things going forward. Mm-hmm. And it refined me in a way that allowed me to be the person I am today where I feel like I don't have to wear that mask anymore. Like I'm not trying to impress anyone. I just get to be myself and hopefully people like that person. And fortunately they seem to, <laughs> they seem to be going well business-wise and without what happened to mom happening, I don't think life would be where it is today. Well, the past is the past, but it doesn't have to be your future, right? That's exactly it. Because before that, your career started in gyms? Yeah, I was in fitness for years. Worked in a fitness franchise in Adelaide for a long time, trying to find a way to get my first franchise. Eventually ended up getting a portion of a gym with uh, two friends. And then that escalated over time to having a couple of those gyms throughout Adelaide. Because you um, dropped out of school, didn't have a trade. No. Is that like you went straight to like try to work at a gym well, or how did that here, work? It was ironic because it's like while my parents were pushing me out of school because I had this like negative mindset towards masculine tendencies, I didn't want to get into a trade because I felt like that was a <laughs> masculine thing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but it was it was bizarre. I actually didn't go to the gym. I went to a clothing store. Oh, okay. uh, I was working at a clothing store selling clothes and this guy came in one day and me and my partner Emma were talking about one day buying a house. I knew I needed a full-time job and I sold him a bunch of clothes and he's mm. like, I think you do really well on like gym membership sales. And I'm like, nah, I don't really like the idea of sales, but I'll try it. And then I did. And I guess my different tactic of selling was just being authentic. I'd make jokes about the price, make jokes that it's, yeah, it's really just going, it's really just eating healthy. You don't even need to go to the gym. Most people, most people's results come from just eating healthy. Mm. And I think because I was just being really authentic about it, instead of you know, sticking to the sales process, everyone was just saying yes, because it was refreshing. And um, I just took off, did really well, and just kept getting more and more opportunities from that, um, like just off the back of each other and slowly worked more slowly. Over five years, worked my way to owning a gym. And then, you know, a few years later, I owned a bunch of them throughout Adelaide. When along the line did you actually start training yourself? Uh, training myself was probably around 25. I was training before that, but I'd never had abs. Like, I don't want to become too much of a man, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that's kind of what it was. And then um, uh, I remember one time I was watching TV and I was like, my partner's checking this guy out and he had abs and I was like I can fix this myself <laughs> the competition anxiety <laughs> exactly so it became um, yeah, a reason to start training I think and then I just really enjoyed it and there were quite I found out after a while there were quite a few toxic traits to training too much you know you, you never really are happy with the way you look and yeah, you know, body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia yeah. kicks in more and more and working in the gyms was worse because you see so many people coming in but at the same time it's become a fundamental part of who I am today like I still train five days a week, I only do half out of 45 minute sessions because I feel like you know, if I'm going to the gym every day, you know, I can earn going out for dinner, you know, every weekend or every second weekend. Yeah. Or if I want to go out for drinks with friends, like, you know, if I'm going to the gym every day, I can go out for drinks with friends. Yeah. And it's also just good for your mental, mental health. A hundred percent. Like I've noticed the weeks where I haven't been able to train for one reason or another, I just don't feel quite the same. And like I go to the gym, I don't even listen to music. I put my headphones in and play nothing on it because I like to just relax and I like to switch off. And it's, it's nice to, it's almost like my yoga. In a way, well, yeah, it's it's a vice in itself. We just get some space. It's yeah. like adult recess, really. Yeah, it's <laughs> adult recess. <laughs> uh, and obviously, it suits you being a, a business owner. Yeah. What, what does it mean to be a business owner, and how have you been able to navigate all that? 
it's such an interesting path. Like having no formal training obviously meant that it was trial by fire and mm. I would have to fail and learn from my failures over and over again instead of learning like most people do by you know studying <laughs> um, and by learning from other people's failures. So that was interesting, but I never failed the same way twice. I never made the same mistake twice. And I think that's the biggest thing in business is accepting that you will fail, you will stuff up. But as long as you don't do it twice, it doesn't really matter. If you do it twice, maybe we've got to reevaluate things. But um, that's been a huge thing for me. It's helped me get to where I am today. And everything, every week we grow. And we have the same thing with the gyms as well. Every week we would grow. And we never had weeks where we didn't grow. And I think a lot of that comes from the consistency, accepting that we'll stuff up and fail, willing to try new things. And constantly moving forward, trying to avoid burnout. And I think avoiding burnout is making sure you give time to your friends, you give time to your family, you give time to gym, things like that. Too many people get wrapped up in one thing and like they'll get obsessed with just business, they'll get obsessed with just the gym. And I got to water all the plants. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of the burnout comes from because, you know, for myself, uh, my business partner, my friends that have managed to water all those plants, they don't seem to burn out. It's people who get obsessed with the one thing that seem to burn out a lot quicker. And given that you don't have that degree or the formal training, did you struggle with imposter syndrome for a while? Oh, yeah. Yeah, imposter syndrome came in with the, uh, the gym days. That's where I struggled with that a lot. With what I do today, not so much because I already had the experience. I'd already built businesses. I'd already kind of like earned my stripes mentally, I think. So when we started this, I never had that fear. And even though we started from scratch, we started with no money, we started with no loans, like everything started right from scratch. I never once had a fear that you know, I would struggle to eat. I was like, we'll find a way. And you know, after leaving my ex, leaving the gyms and everything, there was a long period of time in there where I had no money. I was couch surfing with family and friends while we're starting this new company because I, I felt like I needed to have that true authentic experience of starting from scratch and rebuild my life and build who I, who I actually am instead of like who I had pretended to be for years. And um, you know, within six months, went from couch surfing to having our first place and you know, to today where you know, things are going really well. The business is growing rapidly. We're currently looking at expanding into state. Every single week, there's some new really cool thing happening or some cool story where we've helped someone's life change. And it's just filling that cup up constantly. Man, you've done so much for someone of your age. It seems like you've been very self-taught as well. <laughs> like you've always just found a way to do stuff, but I'm a big it's believer. not an easy way to do it. I mean, it's, it's everyone has to figure it out for themselves yeah. in the end, but it's like, you haven't had much guidance and you've just yeah. winged it and your natural talent and your persistence and the relationships you've been able to make, you've been able to pull it together and obviously the person you are, but oh, far out, it's pretty unique. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember dad saying when I was younger, one of like the, the statements he made when I was young that stuck with me was, I'll always find a solution. And I was like, damn, that's such a weirdly powerful sentence. But it's like, if you have that mentality of I'll find a solution, it's never no, it's never I can't, it's I'll find a solution. You do. And I guess you were forced to through yeah. your whole life, which is a silver lining to something that was really difficult to, to live with. And it, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, yeah, if you could go back, what would you change? Like if you go back in time, was there one thing you could change? And I was like, literally nothing. There isn't a single thing I would change. That sounds so bizarre with all like the rough things that have happened and bad things that have happened because I can't go back in time and change my mom's mind. That's what she wanted to do. Mm. And for me to be exactly who I am today, I had to go through exactly what I went through. Yeah, well, it all depends on who you turn out to be so far, you know, yeah. and it seems like you like the man in the mirror now, which is a good result. And then if that's the case, then everything leading up to this had to happen. That's exactly it. And it's nice feeling like I'm truly myself for the first time in my entire life. So while you're going through just this massive, it sounds like your, your whole life has gone at this rate of speed that's just crazy, but yeah. of course you normalized it and you've gone through all this devastation. 
Did you, how was your mental health throughout this period? And did you seek out help yourself or how have you been able to process everything? Honestly, pretty bad at times. Like, I'll be honest, um, like very bad at some times. When I went to school, like, like those suicidal thoughts, like they do for a lot of people were a constant thing. Like it, and I honestly thought it was a normal thing to think about it every day. And for a long time, I thought about it every day. I never thought about how I do it. I thought about, I should do it. And why do you think that was? That lack of self-identity, not knowing who I was, not knowing where I fit into the world, not thinking people liked me, feeling like there was no real way out. I was like, this is just it. This is just life. And then um, you think that everyone would be better off without me. Exactly. I'm like, what do I add to anyone's life around me? Like, mm. there's no value add to anyone around me. What is the point of this existence in a lot of ways? And, um, and a lot of that comes from never being validated by the one person who's yeah. supposed to do that. And that's you know, the hardest thing. One of my friends the other day was asking like, what the hardest thing about losing mum was. And I was like, the hardest thing about losing mum was not having her see who I've become today and then using that as a launching pad to help her become who she could be today. Yeah. And that's probably been the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. But then on the, on the flip side of that, you probably never would have ended up doing what you're doing now had that not happened. That's exactly so it. It's such an really ironic time travel twist, right? Yeah. And I suppose your mum's not here anymore, but there are plenty of other people who are and, yeah. and you can make a difference to them. And that's really the best that we can hope for, isn't it? 100%. So given that you have struggled, you struggled at school, you had that self-destructive period and you pulled yourself out of it because you came up with this new business idea. Um, but like what strategies did you use? Did you have dark night of the soul where you decided that enough's enough and you were able to turn a new leaf? Like how did Honestly, you Honestly, yeah, it, it was that whole, this is the line, I'm going to grind and I'm going to work and I'm going to find a solution but I'm not just going to grind on that one thing. I'm going to make sure I'm going to the gym every day. I'm going to make sure I like who I see in the mirror. I'm going to make sure I eat healthy every day so I like how I feel every day. I'm going to make sure I'm working my business for enough time throughout the day that it makes an impactful difference on my business. But when I have my daughter, that's my priority. So like when I have my daughter, the only times I work while she's at school, I never work before school. I never work when she finishes school. I wait till she goes to bed. Then I wake back up after I put her to sleep. Then I work until midnight and then repeat until she goes back home. I want to make sure she is constantly getting my attention, constantly getting that validation she needs and that support she needs. And doing all of those things together, have I feel allowed me to become well-rounded, but also allow me to be consistent. And consistency in business is like the number one thing. People don't like inconsistency. If you're putting 100% in one week and you're not the next week, people feel that and then they don't want to support you. They don't want to help you because they know that you're not 100% committed to it. What about coming back from that breakdown in relationship? You're with your ex-partner for 12 years. Yeah. You have a daughter together. She's been a huge part of, pretty much sounds like your only support there for a, yeah. a very long time. And then that falls apart, partly related to losing yeah. your mum. Like, How did you come back from that and be able to open yourself up again or even mourn that relationship? I'd argue it's probably the, the weakest point of my life is the relationship side. It's like the one area I probably still struggle with the most. And a lot of that comes back to the mum problems, I think, still feeling like whether I can feel comfortable enough with someone they're not going to randomly just flip on me or do something or just stop expecting them to anyway. So I'd say that's probably one of the toughest parts in my life still is probably relationships and being able to have those long-term consistent relationships now. Yeah, when it comes to Emma, obviously, you know, we're best friends now, like, which is a weird thing to say about an ex, but you know, raise our daughter. I'm really good friends with her partner. You know, I go to the gym with him. It's been really cool and powerful to do that. And it's also nice knowing that we're role modeling that behavior for our friends too. So people can see that you can break up with someone and you know, remain good parents. What about when that breakup happened initially? Yeah. Like what happened to oh, you that, then? It was rough. 
the priority in my mind was always don't do or say anything that's going to jeopardize having the relationship you need to have to give your daughter the life she needs to have. Um, so that was a focus for me, which was hard because when you go through a breakup, the emotions are all through the roof and you know, you're angry at things you shouldn't be angry about. You care about things you shouldn't care about. And, you know, obviously, you know, she left me and I think most guys in that scenario would get quite defensive and angry. And I just knew it wasn't her fault. She didn't leave me because she hated me. She leave, left me because of who I'd become. And so, yeah, it was, it was sad. It was tough. It was. So it was really that, that self-destructive period that yeah. caused a lot of problems. 100%. I mean, yeah. that self-destructive period is what left her, you know, her leaving me. Mm. And uh, yeah, but totally understandably too. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose the, the important thing here is that you made mistakes. Yeah. There's definitely a justification for that to an extent. Um, you could certainly have played the victim. But yeah. you've you've chosen not to, obviously, because you've seen how that's that's ended up, and then you've committed to making the right decisions and and having those daily habits, and then yeah. become the man you are now. So, yeah, yeah. and I you know, want to make sure I'm a good role model for my brothers as well. I've got little brothers, and um, they're awesome. Um, one of them's joined the Varna Care team now. Um, he's amazing at what he does. He supports a bunch of really complex clients and has amazing results with them. The feedback from that is crazy. And I think a lot of that comes from him going through the same childhood I had. He knows how to give kids that are going through a tough time the attention they need. And Well, it gives you a gift in a way, doesn't it? Because yeah. then you can relate to people and you've got a real opportunity to be able to help people. Like yeah. even you sharing your story now that has that impact because you can walk in people's shoes because you've been there. And you can really get that. And as hard as that is to grow up that way and to have gone through what you've gone through, it gives you that opportunity to be able to have that perspective and be able to touch people on another level. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Honestly, it, it's, it's weird hearing it because it's like, on some degree, it's like, I want to be like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But it's like, it feels self-aggrandizing sometimes mm. to be like, yeah, like I want to be a role model or I could be. Like, mm. yeah, so it's more like, I just want to do my best and hope I can. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what's the alternative to being a role model there, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. Yeah. To be the solution, not the problem, right? <laughs> so where did Varnacare come from? So Varnacare, And what is it? Varnacare was, um, it was a really cool concept. So it started from um, one of my high school best friends that I mentioned before, Jason. He'd started coming back into my life through the gyms and he was bringing clients into our gyms from the company he worked at. He worked in disability support for about 10 years. And um, he was bringing them into the gyms to do their gym session. They were able to get funded for once a week. Through a mentoring? Yeah, through mentoring um, and to see personal trainers and stuff like that. And uh, over time, we started realizing that the way the system was set up was not really effective. Most people that were living with a disability didn't really need to go to the gym and do 10 squats once a week. They needed someone in their life to role model positive behavior. So we were talking about how we could help more people by convincing personal trainers who worked for me to become support workers because these people generally had support workers in their life every day. They just didn't have the training to offer any fitness advice or uh, I guess role modeling that positive behavior. So we convinced these people to become support workers. We trained them in support work. We brought them over and what we managed to do was to role model that positive behavior. So it was walking to the shops instead of driving. It was you know taking the stairs instead of an escalator. These little small steps every day that helped a lot of people break out of that sedentary lifestyle they were unintentionally living because they had bad role models in their life. Well, not intentionally bad role models, but bad role models in their lives. And by ending that sedentary lifestyle, people started having a lot of incredibly positive responses to us. And also you know, with their family, they were more active with their family, they were participating more in community. And they were just overall living a better lifestyle. And then that created this snowball effect where everyone was hearing about what we were doing. And we were just getting referrals over like hand of a foot. 
constantly. And since then, we've obviously blown up to over 150 staff across South Australia. Wow. Uh, we're currently expanding interstate. And so that's primarily mentoring people who are going out and having so, these relationships. Uh, we do support work. We don't yep. do much mentoring. Mentoring okay. is a part of what we do. Uh, mentoring is a little bit different. But what we wanted to do was make sure that support works like baseline support that most people get. We wanted to make sure that at that baseline support, they were getting way more with us than they could get anywhere else. And a lot of that was having you know, goal-oriented personal trainers join our team. Now, today we've expanded into you know, such a large area that um, you know, we support all needs. So we've brought people in that don't have backgrounds in fitness, obviously. But at the same time, we're able to help those core people that joined us you know, with these amazing, energetic people who have a background in health and fitness. And have you done that on the ground bit or you've done yeah. the, the managerial Yeah, I started, like when we started, I was working on the ground, I was working with clients and that was the best thing that we've ever done. We try to maintain that as well. Me and Jason try when we can to make sure we're still getting out and hanging out with clients, hanging out with that team while they're with clients as well. I don't even like using the word clients. I like saying the people we work with. I'm just using it because it's an easy point of yeah. reference for a conversation. It's such a cool experience getting to see like the smile on someone's face who's so used to sitting at home with someone who's just sitting on their phone and instead they're at the beach going for a walk or going for a swim or, you know, kicking the footy, all this stuff that we take for granted that a lot of people just assume they, they can't or don't want to do. You know, we can help support them to that. And it's so cool. What has your, your business and that experience taught you? That you can just make a little, little impact in someone's life and it can have a snowball effect to be a massive impact in a lot of people's lives. And I think that's the biggest thing with Ivana. We get to be that little piece in their life every single day that brings positivity and energy. And that snowballs into the rest of their life where now they're happier, they're having a better day. Their families are having a better day and everyone's living a better life. What about your own self-love, your own self-esteem? How do you generate that, your own self-worth and value? Is that still a battle or have you got that it's locked still in a now? battle. Like I don't think anyone really ever has it locked in. It's still a battle, but it's not the battle it was. Like I'm authentically myself. But, you know, my self-esteem and stuff like that still goes up and down. I mean, if it didn't, I probably wouldn't go to the gym to maintain my abs. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not the battle it used to be. I'm a lot more confident in who I am today. I'm a lot more comfortable. You know, I used to struggle to talk to, you know, groups of more than two people without going red and feeling uncomfortable and feeling like I don't fit in. Whereas, you know, now I can talk to my whole team at once and you know, have these really cool, you know, group catch-ups with everyone and feel like I fit in, which is such a strange feeling for me. <laughs> What about therapy, man? Have you ever explored that? I have. I didn't commit to it. I should have committed to it. I think a lot of that comes down to the needing to solve problems myself mentality that comes from that childhood trauma. Mm. And I know that there's a lot of help in therapy. And I, the small amount of therapy I have had has been really powerful and beneficial for me, but it's just been sticking to it consistently. So you just didn't keep going back? No, I just, I found I didn't find the right person to resonate with. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And it's ironic because, you know, we'll go to a personal trainer to maintain our bodies, but not to a therapist to maintain our mental health. Yeah. So it's... And the average is like four or five before you find someone that you resonate with. Is obviously, there's a lot of work involved in that. <laughs> and I've been guilty of that as well. I'm uh, booked in to try again now, but yep. I, the last time I tried was, yeah, five years ago. Yeah. Uh, and had a bad experience. And I've always, obviously, I do this show. I, I preach yep. it and recommend it, but um, I haven't made the effort myself, but I'm doing yep. it again now. But it just seems like, obviously, you're, you're incredibly resilient. You're very resourceful. You've been able to get yourself to this point and done a lot of work on yourself. But of course, there's, when it comes to helping ourselves, sometimes having a, a professional who can help yeah. walk us through this stuff is probably a good idea as well, right? 100%. Yeah. I think it's one I of know you've got a bit going on, but. No, no, no. It's, yeah. At the end of the day, we'll have enough time in the day to make time for the things that are important. And I think it's, you know, it's something that 
is definitely on my 2024 to-do list. Yeah. yeah. So where are you at now with everything? How are you seeing life and what are you sort of striving to do? And Well, I've mentioned before that, you know, things used to feel kind of gray mm-hmm. and things feel so bright now. Everything feels like it's just so vivid. There are so many colors and it sounds weird to say that, but my memories when I'm younger are gray, like they're dulled out, like they're, they're not happy. Whereas now everything feels so vibrant and energetic and colorful and like there's so much potential from life. It's, it's amazing. So someone who had an upbringing like yours or, or feels like they're walking around in, in shades of gray and that it's not going to get better and, and maybe they should just give up. Why should they keep going? I think it's one of those things, keep trying, just make sure you're not trying the same thing over and over again. It's like in business, you know, you can fail, just don't fail the same way twice. If it didn't work, try something different until you feel good and find your way, find your reason. Hmm. So what's your reason now? Besides my daughter, to help as many people as I can, even if it's just a little bit every single day, help as many people as I can. And have you forgiven your mum? That's a tough question. I, I don't know. I think yes. I think I have to a degree, not for the pain it caused me, but for the understanding I have now of why it was as bad as it was for her. Like, I get it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you demonstrate just how much you don't want to repeat that. And yeah, it's probably to an extreme extent where you're trying to be there every single second. And yeah. Um, and the cycle. again, that's a, it's another, it's another silver lining that's come out of something that's that's so tough, but I can yeah. tell you loved your mum a lot yeah. as well. And then it must be really difficult to have had a lot of wrong done to you that made things really tough, but also to love someone. And then once they're gone to need to be able to ultimately let that go because you're only holding it over yourself at, at, at a certain point too, right? Like that letting it go part is still the hardest part. You know, it still sits there and it still bubbles up every now and then. And maybe that's where that therapy can help this year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, thanks Jesse thanks man that's it for this episode if you like what we're all about support us by following Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok every podcast episode is recorded in professional quality video and they're all up on our Youngblood Men's Mental Health YouTube channel so please show some love and subscribe you can find everything there is to know about the podcast at youngbloodmensmentalhealth.com. And most importantly, please share these stories with anyone in your life who needs to know they're not alone. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.